Hi, this is Marjorie Liu from New York Comic Con, and be sure to listen to Adrian Has Issues. Hey guys, welcome to Adrian Has Issues. Today is a very, very special episode. I'm, I'm so excited to do this one. Uh, matter of fact, I have three guests for today's podcast. One is a returning guest who you've heard uh, quite a while ago. Actually, that was around the same time last year in the episode titled You Don't Know Jack. And he's also the founder of Forward Comics. And we are back today to discuss a great anthology entitled Guan, but it doesn't end there. We have two more guests. We have Paul Kajeji and Ariana Mao, who are also working on the anthology of the same name. So Jerome, Paul, Ariana, welcome to the show. How's everybody doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, fantastic. I'm so glad we got to chat again. I had such a great time discussing your work with Forward Comics and your other titles. And when the opportunity came up to discuss uh, your current work, I was ecstatic to do it because I had such a great time chatting that episode. But this seems to be something that kind of just takes it to a whole new level. And just before we get started, what I thought was great about this is I've noticed lately in terms of comics and art and just visual storytelling, the anthology has sort of found a way back into the fold in terms of just how stories are being told, you know, because traditionally with comics, you have, you know, single issue, maybe a miniseries or an ongoing. But lately, I've noticed there's a lot of anthologies where you have a lot of different creative teams coming together to tell unique stories yeah. that you really wouldn't get otherwise. So with Guan, this is even more special because this is a anthology that's centered around the immigrant experience and cultural fusion and pretty much bringing in voices that, let's be real, you wouldn't really hear a lot in mainstream comic books. So I guess the Jer Jerome, uh, starting with you, would you mind giving a little bit of insight as to how this project first got started? Yeah, sure. So as a small publisher, Forward Comics, we're always thinking about different ways to use the comic medium to do something that's really unique. And um, after deciding to take a short break from Nowhere Man, I, I want to think through a way to use comics as a platform to, to start this conversation about certain things that we didn't hear much about. And so it was um, probably a little more than a year ago, I, I thought through what would be a project that I would personally feel really invested in. And that would be something that addressed the immigrant experience. So yeah, I thought about what kind of stories I want to tell and what kind of things I thought would be something that someone would find relatable. And also for me, it was very personal. And I thought through how to infuse a, maybe a fictional story with a bit of my immigrant experience. And so that turned out to be the river. And I want to kind of wrap around that, you know, lots of other stories and try to find ways to pull in um, other voices into that. So Guan became sort of a very natural fit for the title because for me, it's a, uh, a way to, to dig back into my own, uh, my own roots as an immigrant from, from the West Indies, from Jamaica, and to kind of use that as a way to start a conversation with friends that I've known in the comic book industry for a little while, as well as other folks. So pretty soon after starting out with um, my own story that I put into the anthology and some other stories that I was receiving from some uh, other friends, you know, I did this open call 
And uh, through that process, I was so glad to come across Ariana's work and also and also uh, Paul's as well. And, you know, when we started to, to look through their work and, and what they've done in the past, I, I thought, you know, yeah, it'd be great to kind of get them involved with this project. And, you know, uh, when they reached out through that open call process, uh, you know, I was just so, so glad that they, you know, really jumped into it and provide this really great stories to be a part of the anthology. So I guess to Ariana, um, reach out to you then. Any insight you'd like to share as far as approaching this? And what was it about this anthology that inspired you to answer the call, so to speak? I, um, I've been getting into comics fairly recently. So it was one of the first ones that had come up. And I think I, where I live, I live in Vancouver, Canada, and we have a really rich uh, intermingling of cultures. But there's a couple of fairly predominant cultures here. Um, where I live, there's a fairly strong East Asian community. Um, but it was really interesting because right around the time that I saw the call for this comic, I was hitting this point where it felt like the very westernized community that I'd grown up in was like there's like a barrier between this like very East Asian community and this very westernized community. And even though there's a lot of people who come from both of those communities, and they live in the same area, they kind of don't interact with each other. And so it was this source of conflict and kind of confusion growing up in this kind of time. And when I saw this, it, the call for it, it really hit the spark of like, whoa, I could really get to explore this in a comic format, something that I always really wanted to do and always really wanted to kind of express myself with. So I ended up writing this comic um, Kind of taking two of the biggest sources of kind of literary inspiration in my life um, or like artistic media. So uh, there's The Wizard of Oz, which I think a lot of people will recognize. And, right. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and while doing this research, yeah. it was uh, surprising how like globally dominant it is. Like it, I'd come across this fact that there's something like a fifth of the world had seen The Wizard of Oz and that just was astounding to me somehow. And the other part of it was the journey to the West, which is this hugely famous story in China, like just about every Chinese person knows it and pretty much every kid has grown up with it. But when I started writing this and talking to people about it and like, telling my friends who hadn't grown up with that, like I was expecting them to know it for some reason and they wouldn't. And it was <laughs> <laughs> I like... I was like, yeah, so there's this character, and they're like, oh, I recognize that character from League of Legends, I think. <laughs> oh, great. Um, let, me, let me give you a little bit more backstory to that. Uh, but while doing the research and thinking about it, it was hilarious and, and really interesting to me how like very, very seemingly different cultural stories, their characters, the archetypes kind of overlapped really well it was really interesting and I would tell people who knew a little bit about both those stories and they would go like huh yeah what's so great about what you're all involved in is that concept of sometimes especially when it comes to western storytelling and just how we consume art we a lot of times don't get too many influences or it seems very insular in a lot of ways, but then once you start hearing those stories, you're saying to yourself, wait a minute, even though this isn't a completely different culture, we realize then, and it sounds a little, I guess, kind of after school special-ish, but you know, you realize there's so many similarities in how the stories are told and they're very relatable, but it's just that if you don't know they exist, then you just won't know. 
But that mm-hmm. is pretty great that even in telling the story, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of funny that someone equated to League of Legends, but hey, that's something that they recognize. And there's ways that they can then make connections and make it make sense to them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Paul, um, bringing it to you, yeah. what was it about this that led you to submit a story? Well, as you can see from my picture, I'll hazard a guess that I'm probably the whitest guy on this anthology. Um, <laughs> there, there, um, there are a few, so don't, yeah. don't feel left. Yeah. Don't feel at all out of place. Uh, there are quite a few. I, I, I just wanted to, uh, yeah, just bring a little levity there, because. Uh, but I've, I've found myself uh, kind of on the cusp because, like, when, when I saw the call, uh, my wife is Vietnamese. And uh, her family story has always been one that has intrigued me. When I was growing up, I mean, I grew up with stories of racism from my grandfather's perspective and from my parents' perspective. They were Italian immigrants coming to Australia. And, um, you know, when they came, there was a lot of the usual stuff that you get with you know, paranoia around new ethnicities entering the community. You know, they were their greasy food and their, uh, you know, taking all our jobs and not speaking our language. And they experienced all of that. And by the time I was born, it was sort of kind of dying off. So I never directly experienced that. And I, in a way, I, I kind of count myself lucky. But at that time, there was the influx of a lot of Asian cultures into Australia and they were basically starting to cop the brunt of that racism that we had. And this was about the time that my, you know, my wife's family was coming to Australia. Now, they escaped Vietnam after the fall of Saigon, after um, the, uh, the Vietnam War. And their, their story was, was epic when, when I heard it. And uh, when I heard the call, instead of saying, oh, maybe I could tell a story about my relatives, I thought... Like you said, Ariana, there are similarities and there's this this story that just sort of ge- keeps getting told. And I thought it would be really nice to tell something a little bit closer, more contemporary that people can relate to um, with different faces that were not European, I guess. <laughs> and their story had it all. You know, it was escape from oppression, leaving your home, that that fear of the unknown, of going out into the unknown and the pressures of of leaving everything you know really taking a gamble, taking a chance that could end up in certain death. And, you know, my my father-in-law and my mother-in-law, they left. My wife was one and a half, two years old, and she was put on a boat with a bunch of other refugees fleeing in the dead of night in the middle of a storm. And my mother-in-law was pregnant uh, with my my brother-in-law uh, and, and in a lot of ways she said that she saved her life uh, because there was a lot of you know men that had other ideas and she was pregnant so she was kind of off limits if you know what I mean um, but that story was just so epic that I thought I, I asked her permission I said do you mind if I put this in story form I, I'd like to submit this to this uh, this anthology piece and she you know she gave me her blessing and, and she said yeah I think it's really good so I turned it into a sci-fi story and I submitted to Jerome, who accepted it. And uh, yeah, uh, D. Jang was the, the the product of that, or D. Yang, I, I believe the pronunciation would be. Going back to Jerome, so with the process of this anthology, you have all the pieces together. You're getting submissions. What really goes into choosing which stories get in and which stories don't? Because I'd imagine there's probably so many fantastic ones from everybody who submitted. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, great material. I think for me personally. It being my first time stepping into the editorial role, I want to make sure there was a really good balance throughout the anthology. So 
as I was t- taking a step back, looking at all the uh, submissions, I want to make sure that there was really good representation across the board um, in all facets of uh, diversity. And also in terms of the kind of stories that we were getting, we want to make sure that not only was there balance and diversity, but also that there was something really unique about the story that was personal to the contributor, right? Right. So we want to make sure that it wasn't just sort of like something that was personally removed or something that was not, they weren't necessarily connected to. We want to make sure that whatever story they were submitting, there was a piece of that contributor or that team in their submission. And I think for both Ariana and, and, and Paul, that came through immediately, you know, and I remember the early conversations that I had with Ariana uh, via email about her uh, submission. <laughs> you know? Oh, okay. She's already started laughing. So this should be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was great. It, it, <laughs> it was, well, it was, it was great because, you know, right away I was just struck by how unique that was. I just thought that's just a really cool approach to telling a story that reflected the, as you were touching on before, just that there are certain themes that were universal, these strings that you could find throughout different versions of folklore that that was a commonality, a string that everyone could sort of say, oh yeah, that, that story sounds familiar. There's a piece of uh, my upbringing or my culture in that and sort of seeing how it could be easily fused with others to kind of create this you know, sort of common, um, you know, this common uh, shared experience, uh, which I thought was great. And so, yeah, kind of hearing that and kind of trying to, as an editor, help to bring that story along to make sure it's kind of going in the direction that I felt that she was going in uh, without necessarily getting too meddling, you know, in, in the creative process. So it was a delicate balance, you know, and I tried to, uh, as much as possible, particularly with the open call submissions, to make sure that I was giving enough credit input as an editor to make sure that I got the best I could out of each submission, again, without being uh, too overbearing. And I have to tell you that, uh, you know, all throughout the entries that were finally selected for the anthology, you know, I could really see that folks were giving really good submissions, really unique submissions, and they were really doing their best to make sure that it was their, their best work. And so, you know, I really applaud both Paul and, and Ariana for really putting all that time and effort you know, into these submissions because they were very strong and very powerful. Awesome. Go back to Ariana real quick. Something you had hit on very briefly that I want to go back to is you said that in a way you were still fairly new to, I guess, comics in general. So how's that journey been as far as getting into this wonderful medium? <laughs> I don't feel like I've really gotten into it. I've kind of like put a toe in every now and then. I'm in school right now for CG computer graphics. And so like working on comics is definitely like this labor of love thing where when I've had a spare time, I would just kind of like sit up at 3 a.m. kind of shaking from all the coffee and trying to make (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh, now you're speaking my language because that was basically my morning. (laughs) (laughs) It's been really great. Uh, This process with Jerome has been just absolutely fantastic. Basically, the first uh, anthology I've ever been published in. He's really good about not like kind of being overbearing in uh, criticisms or suggestions, but he was really there for me in terms of hand holding along the whole process. So that was it was just really fantastic. 
it's just a really great medium to get into. I think really encouraging artistically and creatively because you, especially for like independent anthologies, have a lot of creative freedom for, like, if you fit the call for action or call for submissions, you there's a lot of ways for which you can kind of tell these stories, and I think that's really exciting and really creatively stimulating at the same time. So, Paul, is this your first foray into this, or have you done any sort of work like this prior? I kind of dipped my toe into the um, creative side of comics about six or seven years ago when I uh, released my first comic called Pandia, which I've kind of put on hold for various reasons. But I've always been into comics. As a kid, when I was moving house, uh, I stumbled upon a, a sort of a secret collection that my uncle had kept hidden from my grandfather because my grandfather was a clean freak and he would just chuck anything that was lying around the house out. <laughs> and uh, luckily, I, I opened up this almost like they had a secret compartment in a, in a, a wardrobe or something, I remember. And there was this stash of 19, circa 1960s and 70s Marvel comics. I mean, Fantastic Four, X-Men, wow. all that sort of stuff. That's like basically finding buried treasure, you know? Yeah, yeah it was. <laughs> and, and so um, at the time, I think my, my, my father was, was, was renovating our home and uh, we were sort of spending a lot of time in my grandfather's house. And I would just spend hours in this room just reading through them and just absorbing it all. I, I just sort of, that's when I fell in love with the medium. Um, but uh, a few years ago, I tried to bring a little bit of that love back in essence into what I was creating. Fast forward to this particular project, last year, I've got two small children, um, you know, <laughs> a mortgage, freelance uh, career, all that sort of stuff, um, and I kind of take care of the household. Choosing the right projects was getting harder and harder and harder to do. And so when a project like this came along, I said to my wife, I said, look, I am going to throw my head into the ring and I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this one because this is the one I'm going to choose to be the project this year. Um, it's eight pages, but I'm going to give it everything I've got because it it's something that I'm very passionate about. Uh, it's something that I think is should. It's a story I want to tell and be involved in, and uh, you know I think this it's got a lot of potential to reach a lot of people in in a really positive way. And choosing those projects is getting hard <laughs> these days. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, finding the time, you know, it, it's always about sacrifice and payoff. You know, you, you sacrifice the time for a, a particular project like this and the payoff as we've seen i mean jerome you've done exceptional i mean i i know i haven't said this to you personally but i, I think you've done such an amazing effort running the kickstarter campaign you know how it's available on places like amazon i'm pretty sure this is all part of your grand plan but it, it's like <laughs> possibly the the, <laughs> the most uh, widespread um project that i've been involved in to date yeah Awesome segue, because I was just about to ask Jerome about the Kickstarter, because going through the journey, yeah. you know, we have the inspiration. You've pretty much assembled your Justice League or Avengers uh, in a way. <laughs> right, right, pretty much. <laughs> but now they have to be unleashed onto the world. And of course, that comes down to getting the product out. So I don't know if you want to explain a little bit of the process with the Kickstarter, because I know obviously by now sure. the book is out, but yet I'm always interested in hearing about how people market their books because talking to creators, making the book is one thing, but marketing is a completely different beast and it can be very daunting. Yeah, it is. And and so um, given that I've run quite a few Kickstarter projects in the past, I was trying to 
consolidate lessons I had learned from those uh, previous uh, projects. And a few of the things that I had learned was that you have to run the numbers, right? You have to make sure that how much you intend to raise would at least cover the uh, fundamental costs of, of, of the project. Uh, it's not going to cover everything, but at least the basics should be in place. So rather than coming up with something that was a really aggressive Kickstarter, I just wanted to do something very modest that would make sure that we took care of the first uh, print run on the book. And so thankfully, I was able to pull in a lot of my personal network to to make sure that we hit really close to that, that uh, initial ask and, uh, you know, uh, even better, we were able to double that, that very modest ask that we had on uh, the Kickstarter campaign. So we raised roughly 6K, you know, in that range. And that allowed us to not only cover the first print run, but it also allowed us to be able to, to bring on a couple of editors that had worked with me in the past on different projects to help to edit and polish the book even further. So that gave me a lot of confidence going into post-Kickstarter mode to make sure that the print one was covered. We had staff to come in and, and, and edit the book. And I knew on top of that, that there was going to be additional cost to promote it properly. So, you know, as I stated in the, uh, in the open call process and in the documentation that went out to the contributors was that although they're contributing their work, that we would do our best as a as a as a small publisher to make sure the book was successful, um, and whether that meant to you know invest additional funds, you know that if that's what it took, that's what we we're going to do, and you know we certainly did that with the marketing campaign. We rolled out a uh, a launch party here in New York that helped us to get additional press around what we had done with the Kickstarter. So the Kickstarter certainly generated some amount of press. But then on top of that, we're able to generate additional press around this launch party that we did. And then, of course, we've just been hitting the circuit, you know, talking with different podcasts and reviewers to help us to get additional exposure. So, again, thanks to you for helping us to get a little more airtime here. No, anytime. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's all of that has been uh, really helpful. So you have to try to run all these different aspects to uh, to get, you know, the, the the amount of attention that you need to really make sure that uh, a project like this gets the kind of notice that uh, would help it to, to do well. And, uh, you know, I, again, I'm just really humbled by the contributors that came on board. I mean, we have folks from all over the world um, that have, ha- have decided to be part of this project. And we have this uh, young lady out in uh, China that uh, not only contributed to the book, but she's going to be helping us on some of the marketing out there in china so we'll see how that goes oh, that's great um but but yeah we're basically doing just a, you know turning over every stone every leaf to make sure that you know we we get a chance to make sure that uh we build an audience for this particular project and something that is a testament to the comic book community especially with the indie comic book community is because they're is a bigger push to get the book out there. I feel that in a way, I, I think it actually in a way helps because at that point you're, you almost go the extra mile to make sure that the book gets in as many hands as possible. 
Yeah. Because I, I think that's in a way important. And matter of fact, going back to the launch party, which um I saw the uh the pictures shared online. I think it was um what is her name? The blurred girl, I believe. I think that's the yeah. you know, mm-hmm. especially on her social media platforms and Oh, she was great, very very helpful and she is awesome. I, I can't wait yeah. to have her on the show at some point. But it seemed like a great party and oh, yeah. I've seen launch parties before, you know, let's say a new Batman book comes out and you know, maybe comic book stores will hold launch parties, but this was really, really something and just from what i've seen online like that was a really unique way to release this because i feel that it legitimized it a little bit it shows that comics can be an important part of literature as any novel or you know anything like that and i thought it was a really nice way to present it to the public very true um you know you know as, as i first thought about uh different uh things that i want to uh put together to promote the the book and the, the project in general Certainly, we knew that the Kickstarter was going to be sort of the the initial foundation, and then we were going to do these outreaches via podcasts and reviews. Almost a little bit late in the game, we decided to do this launch party. Initially, it sounded like a good idea, but it was like there's a little bit of that fear. You know what I mean? <laughs> For a small publisher, that's a big commitment to do this launch event. And so, thankfully, I was able to get some help with that as well. And of course, some of the folks that were local that are able to make it out. It was a nice mix of folks that contributed to the book and uh, friends and family, of course, and um, folks, in, you know, that are involved in quite a bit on social media and uh, other press outlets. They were able to make it out. And it was a it was a really good time because I think they really embraced the, the the theme that we're going for and the heart of it. Again, not just like you're saying before, not just that comics just for comics sake, but, you know, there was a really important message. There was a really important vision that we had in mind that we we're able to make tangible in this particular project. Thank you, Jerome. So, Ariana, kicking it back to you real quick. So, something I've noticed a lot of, and that's just from following people on social media platforms, we talk a lot about diversity and visibility among certain creators and such. And something that, you know, I was thinking about as you were talking is that more and more we're starting to now see, which I absolutely love, is the fact that we're getting a lot of voices from the Asian community and from various regions as far as being involved in comics. And that's pretty great. And I know as someone who's just starting out, being able to represent cultures that, again, aren't really represented a lot in mainstream comics... Do you now, I guess, having worked on this anthology, um, do you have any plans of maybe any other ways to further bring that into your work? My culture and like my background is always going to be fairly important parts of me. And I think that always comes through in the work that I do. Like I'm always in this mode where no matter what I create, there's going to be things that kind of feed into it separately. Like my background with comics is more of kind of like Eastern, like manga comics. Like I grew up with that and I read a lot of that and that uh, influences my work a lot. But I find that it's just really interesting to see this upstream and or like, I'm finding a lot of like uh, Asian comics in like mainstream media already, but you kind of just don't really notice it that often. Like, and the more that I create these, the more authors that are, or artists that I find that are actually already part of the community, they're just not very outspoken about it, um, which is really interesting. For example, uh, one of my favorite comic book writers and artists is Jean-Louis Young. I hope I didn't mess up his name. He worked on this uh, comic called Level Up, Chinese-born American, and he's now working on a uh, East Asian version, like an alternate universe Superman, where Superman grew up in Hong Kong. 
Um, oh yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which is absolutely amazing, and that I like because it's not, and it's fairly mainstream, but it's not like front and center mainstream. It's kind yeah. of like, really interesting that I'd never really known about it. There's also like Jim Lee. I had never realized was South Korean. Like I just assumed he was <laughs> some artist. Like I just it's, <laughs> it's, like just really interesting finding out that like I'm not alone in this thing. But I think what's really kind of interesting and exciting, and I see this more in theater or film than I do in comics, is that like because a lot. And I don't want to presume on anyone else's experience, but my experience with my culture is that we tend to not be that outspoken. We tend to not really, like, get out there in social media, like, with our friends, yeah, definitely. But, like, for strangers and other people, like, we don't tend to be seeking controversial or speaking controversial opinions. But I'm finding that there's a lot of, like, actors who are really talking about their experiences and how... Um, their culture and race has impacted their work or whatever and how that influences them. And I think that's really cool. And I'm starting to see that come through in comics as well. And I hope to like kind of just be a part of that stream of visibility. <laughs> Someone brought it up a great way. And I know there's different schools of thought about it. The way it was presented to me once, you know, when I had started this podcast, I had talked to somebody just about what I was doing and what I was about. And this person that just said to me, it's like, oh, uh, so you work in comics? And I'm like, no, I'm just a podcaster. But it's like, okay, but you have comic book guests on your show, right? I was like, yeah, it's like, so you work in comics. So in a way, you've already made that first step or first several steps into doing that. So and something I realized, though, is that I... Even though I've only visited once, and for granted that's on the other end, like French Canada over towards Montreal, I really don't know much about as far as like the I guess Canadian comic scene, so to speak, for lack of a better term. So I don't necessarily know, have, you know, versus like the U.S. if there's any sort of difference there. So that's something that I'm always interested in talking to creators from other countries because I am always curious as to know like how is it out there versus because I honestly don't know anything past like my front door. I sometimes I feel. <laughs> um. Yeah, we have a very terrible version of Captain America. Uh, something <laughs> like Captain Canada. I'm not really sure. I think I've seen that. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a good time if you want to get very drunk and play a drunk game. Um, um, <laughs> let's find the stereotypes. Um, uh, I can really speak to more like the Vancouver scene. I haven't really. Uh, I, I, I imagine it's quite different because. Canada is a massive country. I imagine it's a little bit different on the East Coast, but on the West Coast, um, where I live, we're surrounded by just uh, this amazing nature, um, mountains, ocean, fantastic weather. So it ends up being a lot of comic book artists here tend to be very nature inspired. So you have a lot of like hiking uh, ghost story kind of stories or um, traveling out on the water kind of stories. And you also get a lot of like immigrant, oh, oh mm, a little bit. Like, um, and it's kind of conflux of cultures too. So you get stories from kind of everywhere. I, I can't imagine it's that terribly different from uh, indie communities, most places. But I think the biggest impact, like the one that really would stand out to me is our relationship to nature and maybe a little bit of the like, 
gold rush era kind of impact on the development of the city. Oh, wow, that's awesome. And Paul, I mean, it's bad. Like, I'm here talking, basically expressing my ignorance of, you know, Canada, especially on, you know, Pacific Northwest. So you can imagine I know even less about, you know, what's going down in Australia. Australia, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And as the first Australian I've had on the show, like, I mean, there's so many questions I want to ask, which are probably, like, not necessarily even related to comics, but how is it? Do I write a a kangaroo to work? Yes. Oh, no, I was was not going to ask anything that bad, no. But I'm just always curious to hear about the art and more specifically comic scene in other areas. So I guess I kind of stretch out the same question to you is how does that alter your perception and how you engage your art? It's actually a very good question. Um, uh, The Australian comic scene has, well, the indie comic scene is all but sort of exploded in the last few years here. Um, I've met so many indie creators that are doing fantastic things, uh, both here on the home front, but then trying to get out to an international audience. Just um, this year at uh, San Diego Comic-Con, I had a couple of friends from Melbourne attend and actually host a panel on Australian comics. (laughs) And, you know, that's at San Diego Comic-Con. That's a big deal for us. Um, You know, and, you know, telling Australian stories has always been a bit of an issue from uh, a national identity standpoint because we're a very young country, uh, some 200 plus years uh, in terms of uh, you know, the colonization. And of course, we've got 40, 60,000 years of Aboriginal uh, and uh, Indigenous Australian history as well. And only now are stories like that just starting to be told and be more mainstream. We're a real melting pot of cultures here. And I'm lucky to live in an area of Sydney where there's a great cultural diversity. And it's something that I've always wanted to expose my my kids to. They go to a a local school here where they just had like an international uh, day celebrating diversity. And they all turned up in like traditional clothes and all that sort of stuff. And it was just a sea of color to look at. And and from my experience, that's kind of the Australia I know. Um, you know, it's sort of like a, I don't know, a United Nations type of thing. <laughs> but we all always have that kind of, you know, what do you think of when you think of Australia? You know, she'll be right, mate. Throw another shrimp on the barbie and fosters. Yeah, beaches. And, and it's like, yeah, it's kind of fun to sort of, poke a bit of fun at ourselves and 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 talk about that stuff but from you know an, an, an ethnic perspective there there's there's so much going on and so much that kind of infuses and makes the culture a lot richer um and ma- maybe it's because australia is such a, a young country um we get a lot of that the flip side of course and you know I, i'm not going to try to bring this too far down is that there is you know an undercurrent of what you could only call, you know, racism or xenophobia. And it always, as you know, over there in America, it's always the these very small but very pointed vocal groups, right. you know, that, that, that shout the loudest and everyone <laughs> hears and has an opinion on them, whereas they're, they're never representative of the base that you sort of see every day. And, and certainly we have that. And, you know, we've, we've got issues with certain immigration policies right now and we've got you know refugee crises off offshore and all that sort of stuff and and they're always on my radar because of where i come from where my wife comes from and you know it was only 30 odd years ago that my wife's family experienced 
you know, being refugees in this country. And now there's a whole other generation of people experiencing being refugees. And uh, that's all part of what informs the Australian, you know, scene, I guess. Uh, have I kind of rambled too far off the no, topic here? Or? I'm sorry. Oh, like, I'm completely fascinated by good. this, especially since, like, there's so little I know. And I know that's probably bad to admit that. But yet, <laughs> at the same time, it's like, I'm so just interested in hearing how it is for other people. And going back about the thing of, you know, telling stories that may be particular to this area. But then you find out, it's like, oh, wow, it's actually not too much different because, you know, the U.S. itself is yeah. a very young country. And yeah. we have a lot of these things that are still going on. So, I mean, on that end, and while it may be unfortunate, at least it does lend perspective to it's like, hey, you know what? These are things that happen, but it does also give insight as to the work you create and the stories that you tell. And that's great that you at least acknowledge that, you know, things are starting to finally come together, but yet, you know, there's a long way to go. Yeah, there always is, isn't there? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, very, very true. And that's one of the things that we start to realize really quickly after the contributions started to come together was that, um, yeah, a, a lot of the themes of immigration and, uh, you know, being dislocated or needing to start over, it's so universal. It's, it's very much a human uh, experience a very much of a, uh, a universal human uh, story that we all share in. And so finding a way to bring that all together is something that certainly needs to happen more, you know, a lot more. Absolutely. And so, yeah, it's, it's always great to, it's, it's amazing you know, that, uh, that we have, uh, you know, folks here on, on this call, you know, from far stretches of, of the globe, but, you know, we, we can all relate around this issue. Right. So Jerome, um, it's funny. Cause I mean, we've, talked before uh, previously on the podcast but i guess this is a great way to get into your backstory because one thing i know we probably didn't go over which you pretty much should is the title of the anthology is guan yeah now i don't know if you wouldn't mind i guess giving a little bit more uh backstory as to why this was chosen as the title for this anthology oh sure so um i think that the theme was something that i could sort of uh identify right away that it was going to be something about uh, the immigrant experience or finding ways to communicate or connect with immigrants from, you know, all over the world. And as I kind of began to go through a list of different names I could sort of attach to this thing, it just seemed like everything that I thought of was already like out there. You know what I mean? Right. So I had to begin to dig deep. I was like, you know, I need something that was going to be special, you know, and that's part of the risk too, because you begin to put more and more of yourself out there. So, um, you know, I was born in, in Jamaica and, um, you know, we have sort of this, you know, dialect, which is basically a hodgepodge of, uh, English and, and other influences. Um, and there are these things that are kind of, you hear a right way identified as being, uh, you know, Jamaican or a patois or whatever, you know, labeled that people tend to put on it. So Guan, of course, is this word which is a, a spin or way of saying, you know, what's going on. So you typically hear a wataguan or a waguan as a phrase, typically heard between friends, right? They're close friends that are greeting each other. But when you begin to dig deeper, it's not just a common greeting. It's, a, it's kind of a way for opening up a conversation, right? So as I began to think about the themes that I was putting together in this anthology, it made sense to use this word or a part of this phrase because... What I'm really trying to do, or what I really hope, is that we're starting a conversation between artists 
and, and sort of trying to build a, a little microcosm of a community where people begin to come together and, 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 and kind of greet each other in a way that's very familial, a way that kind of opens up, not just like, how's the weather kind of greeting, but like, no, really, how are you doing? Tell me a little bit about your story. Tell me a little bit about yourself. And as I sort of uh, become a little bit more open about my background and about my experiences, uh, hopefully in return, you know, other artists and writers will begin to be a little bit more open about their experiences as well. So, and as I began to think about how to do that, Guan just really began to stand out as being, this has to be the title because not only is it, is it unique, but also it's much more personal. It's much more like, you know, I'm opening up myself and I'm putting myself out there hoping that I can make a connection with other other uh, creators as well. Thank you, Jerome, for sharing that. Yeah, like it was the title itself, because I remember during the Kickstarter process, even the before that, as you had the open call, that title, it just yeah. struck me. And I'm just like, that is so great. And I didn't even know why it was, but it just like it grabs you like just right off the bat. <laughs> and I don't th I don't think you could have picked a better title for this. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> oh, so thank you so much. And I don't know if there's anything else you really want to share with this, but uh I guess the, the next question is, um, so what's the next step? Are there any other plans for even like other works or anthologies? Like, let's say, for instance, maybe like the submissions that you have chosen for this. Are there any plans to maybe release them at a later date for like maybe another volume or maybe other like smaller collections? Yeah, we're still thinking through that. I, I think um, for myself personally and as as a brand, we're thinking through how to make the most of this particular experience. Um, initially, the thought was. This is going to be a very singular experience, a very singular collection where we 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 pull together as diverse a, uh, a collection of artists and, and writers as possible, and and kind of put it out there as this one collection that could basically sit on your on your coffee table and be this composition piece, right? Uh, because it's a composition between the creators, but also a composition with the the, the readers and the audience who are looking at it. So. Um, I think we're we're close to achieving what we set out to do. I'm personally committed to continue to push this thing as much as I can to get it out there. Um, so so hopefully we will see it do well, perform well. I think there are certain uh, benchmarks that we're looking forward to hit in terms of the audience that we're trying to grow around this conversation. And then you know we're looking to see uh, where it goes from here. You know personally, one of the things I would love to see is not just for it to do well in terms of online sales or whatever the case may be, but maybe we can begin to make an entry into school settings, you know, whether it be middle schools or our college settings where they can begin to use it as, um, you know, supplemental material to talking about issues of immigration and issues of cultural diversity. That's certainly one avenue that we're exploring right now. And, uh, you know, we're, we're hoping to have something happen with that very soon. Uh, we'll see what we're continuing to push that as a possibility to kind of begin to touch on that educational angle that we've been looking at uh, for a while now. And so we'll see we'll see if that that uh, that materializes. And there are some other efforts too that I can't say <laughs> or talk about just yet. But if they if they do if they do materialize, um, you know, the, the, certainly the, con the contributors and and all the folks like yourself who've been involved for quite some time will. We'll hear our announcements. Great, thanks. Yeah, and um, it's funny you should mention education because um, a few times with prior guests, fairly recently, that came up a lot in terms of where 
comic books or you know the visual medium where that can go next because you know we always talk about how the industry is still in its growing stages and we're finding new ways to present these in in a different light where it's not just a matter of you know superheroes and capes which are great and i'm definitely not knocking that but showing that comics can do more than just be just mere entertainment and i think education is a a really untapped market and i know there are people who are using that um to their advantage matter of fact um erica schultz who was just on fairly recently she was explaining how she and a lot of other creators are a part of a um working on an anthology about kind of ending the stigma of mental health or mental illness um Mm -hmm. with people and um also uh Buddy Sclair, who was also on the show, he was talking, he was actually using comics to bring awareness to, you know, conditions like I, um, IDB, or I'm sorry, IBD. Mm. And, you know, it's the things that you wouldn't think of. And you're saying to yourself, I'm like, well, that's an interesting way to kind of use comics, but yet, why not? And, and that's something that, as we yeah. know, that people are more perceptive to things, you know, when they consume them visually. So why not use this medium to then bring awareness to things of whatever be certain issues or just uh just things that you wouldn't really hear about otherwise so that's really great that uh that more and more creators and especially on like the indie circuit are using comics to then bring it more from an educational standpoint and i honestly think it'd be great if more schools would go ahead and adopt that because i think it's very important we're definitely hoping that will happen as well because uh you know i I think in the beginning when i kind of got to a certain point in the in the uh, process of pulling these together you know we get we get to look at different ways to to get this material out there and then certainly as as the national competition began to change we thought that it was even more important that not only do we finish uh the anthology but then find ways to kind of have it be a way to even begin to you know address some of these issues even though you know, certainly we, we don't want to sleep be the most controversial folks out there. Um, but we do want to f- use this material now, you know, in this sort of like very timely environment that we're in to begin to change the, the conversation that we're having about, about, about immigration, about cultural diversity, to make it more, uh, more welcoming, more inviting, a much more positive and warm conversation where we can begin to, again, come back around this same common table of, you know, a very common human experience that we all have uh, some some stake in, some way of sort of saying, yeah, we can relate to each other because we have a lot of these commonalities, a lot of these similar threads that if we just began to just calm down a little bit, um, <laughs> we can begin to find ways to, you know, to talk, talk to each other like, uh, like human beings. To Ariana and Paul then, now having worked on this, are there any other plans or any other titles or things that you're working on that you can maybe perhaps tease or is that something that you can't really discuss just yet? <laughs> yes, uh, it's, it's in very <laughs> early stages. Um, uh, uh, as of like presently, my projects have always been as soon as I get an idea, I tell everyone, you guys, I have, th- I have this idea. I have this idea and I'm going to do it. And then, and everyone kind of follows my process uh, via my social media. I, I draw a sketch, I post it, you know. Um, and so I don't want to say too much, but I, I have got a, a very personal uh, comic strip idea. And the reason why I don't want to say too much is because I'm, I've, I've set myself certain goals because if, if, if any of these goals fail, it probably won't go ahead. But my goals are 
if I can come up with the initial 20 strips, then I can draw those, then I can tell people about it. Then with, with the um, the site to, to, to finish 100 and then do a book, and it's all about being a stay-at-home dad um, and uh, the, the funny things that happen uh, in and around that, uh, you know, dealings with the, the the funny conversations you have with your wife and your kids. And I, I, there, there's a bit of stuff out there, but it's something that I think I can speak to from a personal level. And so I'm, I'm kind of working on that. I can't really say too much because right now it's at the – I've I've got twenty ideas, so I yeah, <laughs> no worries, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, just fleshing that out. Um, but it, it's something that I'm I'm sort of doing while I'm tackling everything else. I mean, I've got work on at the moment, and it's school holidays here for my kid, and you know, my wife's working full time. So uh, yeah, when it sees the light of day, maybe this year. I don't know. <laughs> I don't really have anything too heavy on my plate at all right now. Uh, a bunch of friends and I just released. Or we're in the middle of doing this tiny little like space western anthology. It's going to be completely online. Sold. I'm sorry. You just said space and western. I'm like, that's it. I'm already involved. <laughs> <laughs> it was a uh, completely like Reddit based, uh, open to anyone, everyone. There's some interesting and some very fairly strange stories going on there. So I'm just uh, finishing up the editing on that and like uh, putting it up soonish. Um, right now, though, I've got school, so like I'm making the, you know, your standard art, art excuses. I don't have enough time. But, <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. That's uh, always fun. Is there sort of like a release date for this anthology, or is it still in the early stages? Uh, right now, I I haven't finished my pages yet. So we're kind of actually at the uh, wrapping up point. I'll be putting it up online within the next week or so, and we'll be doing a couple more. Final touches, I think. Uh, my part of it is just the cover and, like, maybe eventually a couple pages. Um, if you like, uh, you can send me a line. Um, I think you can tweet me. Uh, or no, that's a bad idea. I know I'm on Twitter. Um, <laughs> you can find <laughs> Awesome. I would love to hear more about it. <laughs> as far as it goes, uh, there's a lot of artists from all over, I guess, mostly North America. I think there's someone from... Oh, I want to say Indonesia, but I'm not entirely sure. But they're all fairly like westernized comics, though. So, if uh, I, I don't want to disappoint you by setting up an expectation that it'll be very uh, manga styled, but it is definitely Indian. It's there. There's a lot of fun stories in there. That's okay. Like I said, you said sci-fi and western, so everything after that is just icing on an already awesome cake. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I just want to say thank you to all three of you for taking the time on chatting. And it's funny, like, you're all here to discuss this anthology, but I feel like I'm just, I'm more or less just sitting down. It's like, all right, you know, I'm the student you guys teach because there's even so much more I want to know. And we may just have to get together at some point to discuss everything else because I've had so much fun tonight. And thank you for sharing your stories. And Jerome, thank you again for uh, chatting because I always get a, a kick out of chatting with you because I think you have a really oh, thank you. awesome approach to telling comics and like i tell everybody nowhere man is still one of my favorite comics i've read in the past like <laughs> thank year. You. so it's, thank it's you. so much fun but before we go um i guess we'll go around and just let everybody know where they can find more of your work online or any other like social platforms or websites you wish to uh plug feel free to do so well, I guess I'll start yeah, with drone first. <laughs> okay, sure. I apologize. Oh, no problem. So, uh, so yeah, you can find more of my work, Nowhere Man, and some other projects going on too. And of course, Guan, 
please, uh, if you're listening to this, we, we need more support and more, and more sales. So please uh, buy copies through our website, which is forwardcomics.com. So that's uh, F-O-R-W-A-R-D-C-O-M-I-X, uh, forwardcomics.com. So you can buy copies of Guan or Nowhere Man and, or some of the other projects that you see there through our website. We're also on Twitter. And that's at Forward Comics. We're also on Facebook and Instagram, all by the same handle. Uh, you can find me. I'll keep this easy. Find me on Tumblr. It's uh, Bellwether, B-E-L-L-E-W-E-T-H-E-R. Um, I forget how the Tumblr system works. I think it's just bellwether.tumblr.com. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much where I post. Find all the up-to-date stuff. You can find my stuff at my official website where I kind of try to conglomerate everything, uh, paulkajegi.com, C-A-G-G-E-G-I, <laughs> um, and Instagram, Tumblr, where, where else? Oh, DeviantArt, just P. Kajegi, uh, that's, that's where I decide to post a lot of stuff because it's all visual. Um, a big sort of fan of Instagram, Tumblr, I don't quite understand, but, you know... <laughs> The kids are there, so I've got to be there. I feel like you and Ariana might have a little bit of a rivalry here. It's like, all right, it's like which are which visual social networking platform is the most dominant? Yeah. Trying to get some more love over there. it's Tumblr. So yes, find me on Tumblr, Pika Jeji. <laughs> Thank you uh, all so much for stopping by and chatting. We must do this again. And for everybody else, um, I guess all of my website, social media platforms, uh, you'll hear all that in the nifty little stinger at the end of the show. But for now, that will do it for this episode of Adrian Has Issues, and we will see you next issue. Hey guys, I'm Adrian. And I'm His Issues. Wait, what? Hey guys, I'm Adrian. And I'm... Wait, wait, that's not right. Hey guys, I'm Adrian. And I'm Eileen. Tune in to the Adrian Has Issues podcast. Each week we chat with some great people. Including me from time to time. Comic book creators, comedians. Musicians and actors. Tax collectors, Zamboni drivers. (sighs) point is basically anyone willing to sit down for a geeky discussion or two on all things pop culture visit adrianhasissues.com where you can download and stream every episode especially the ones featuring yours truly visit adrian has issues on facebook and twitter and subscribe to the podcast on itunes and stitcher please leave a rating and review and tell me how amazing i am us i mean us ah oh, mckinney you're way cooler than i am anyway oh thanks babe Oh, and Adrian Has Issues is also a proud member of the Tangent Bound Podcast Network. Awesome. Nice save, Brodor. <sighs> Visit AdrianHasIssues.com. <laughs>